What is your favorite holiday? If you like food, then perhaps Thanksgiving is your favorite. If you like candy, perhaps it's Halloween or Easter. Christmas is a favorite for many with a winter vacation, gift giving, and lots of great music and shopping. If your favorite holiday is Valentine's Day, then you need to repent. (laughs) There are, of course, various holidays that have been inserted into the calendar year to afford federal employees uh, the full allotment of vacation days, Columbus Day, Veterans Day, President's Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day. How many of the annual holidays are commanded to be obeyed in Scripture? None. That is not to say that it is wrong to celebrate holidays. We will soon move into the season in which many of our favorite holidays occur, and we will hear the usual arguments about the history and types of celebration. Is Halloween a pagan holiday which ought to be replaced by celebrating Reformation Day? Why do we celebrate All Hallows' Eve, but then not celebrate All Saints' Day? Should retail stores be made to say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays? Then again, someone who says happy holiday is actually saying happy holy day. That's a very religious thing to say. We are in chapters 28 and 29 of the book of Numbers, which recount the commanded celebrations that were to occur with various sacrificial offerings. Last week, we considered the daily, weekly, and monthly offerings, which direct us to a Christ-centered offering and ordering of our time. In Christ, we are no longer mandated to offer a lamb each morning and evening of every day. But it is a good thing to spend time with the Lord each morning and evening by word and prayer. In Christ, we are no longer mandated to make additional offerings every Sabbath day, but it is a good thing to spend time with the Lord's people on the Lord's day, in the Lord's presence, and in congregational worship. And of course, there are certainly uh, commands with regard to our observance of the Lord's day. In Christ, we are no longer mandated uh, to present supersized animal grain and drink offerings at the new moon, the first day of each month. But each new month is a good time to consider our past sins, God's previous provisions as we make plans for the future. This morning, we will see that there are no longer mandations to celebrate the ceremonial holidays of the Old Testament, but in Christ, there is a greater celebration we can enjoy. In talking about the observance of ceremonial laws, among other laws, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So what we're going to see is that Numbers 28 and 29 give profound direction on how we can have the most happy holy days. In order that we might see that before we go to God's word, let's go before him as the author of this word. Indeed, O God, you are the God of revelation who speaks. 
you have spoken at various times and in various places and in various ways, and you have seen to it that your revelation has been secured and preserved throughout the ages, that we would have such ready access to it now, that we can open it in our laps and in our apps, and that we can hear it read and proclaimed, and even to do so in freedom. We give you thanks for this, and then would pray eagerly that your Holy Spirit would come now and bear witness to the reading and to the preaching of your most holy word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are five holidays recounted between Numbers 28, verse 16, and then all of chapter 29. We're going to consider them one at a time. First, we get the Passover holiday in Numbers 28, beginning at verse 16. Listen to God's word. On the 14th day of the first month, the Lord's Passover is to be held. On the 15th day of this month, there is to be a festival for seven days. Eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Present to the, offering, or to the Lord an offering made by fire, a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs, a year old, all without defect. Each bull prepare uh, a grain offering of three-tenths of an epha of fine flour mixed with oil, with the ram two-tenths, with the seven lambs one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Prepare these in addition to the regular morning burnt offering. In this way, prepare the food for the offering made by fire every day for seven days as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It is to be prepared in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. On the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. If you are outlining this, under each of these holidays, we're going to see the calendar, and then we're going to see Christ. For the Passover, the calendar, there's lots of days that are mentioned in this Passover celebration. Let's break them down a little bit. Verse 16 begins, on the 14th day of the month, this is to be celebrated. What is the first month? It is not January. It is actually the first new moon around the spring equinox. This year... That was March 30th. Uh, Next year, April 19th is the spring equinox. We have a really late Easter next year. The first day of each month is the new moon, and that's a 29.5-day lunar cycle, and that was how the Hebrew calendar was built. Now, think logistics for a moment. What is the advantage of having a week-long celebration on the 14th day of the month, the 14th day after the new moon? It means that you're going to have seven days when the moon is at its brightest. Handy for those who are traveling to and from Jerusalem for the holiday. The God of order does things that make sense. Works on those logistics. Verse 17 then says, on the 15th day of this month, there is to be a festival. So does Passover begin on the 14th or on the 15th? Yes, (laughs) Remember that the Hebrew day goes from sundown to sundown. We tend to think of days from sunup to sunup. The Passover, like the Sabbath, begins at sundown the night before. So Passover begins as the sun goes down on the 14th day, beginning the 15th. The Passover is then a week-long seven-day festival. 
so that verse 18 says, on the first day of that festival, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. And then directions are given for the extra sacrificial offerings. And then verse 25, on the seventh day of the festival, hold a sacred assembly and do no work. Now, the focus of these verses here in the book of Numbers during the Passover uh, is the priest's particular duty. Much more direction is given in other parts of Scripture about the full meaning of Passover and how individual and families are to celebrate. The Passover, of course, recalls the Exodus, when the Lord passed over those houses that were marked with the blood of the Lamb. And then the following deliverance of God's people from slavery to Egypt. The New Testament is rich in abundant Passover imagery, showing how the Passover is fulfilled in Christ. And it is no coincidence that the death and resurrection of Christ took place during the Passover week. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. Those who are saved are marked by the blood of the lamb, leading to the deliverance of God's people from slavery to sin. And so there is no commandment to celebrate Easter, but there are commands for celebrating Easter realities, the atoning death and resurrection of Christ. Easter Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, but every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. It's why we've moved the Sabbath from the last day of the week to the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. We start each new week celebrating resurrection in Christ. And yet highlighting one Sunday each year that especially points to the passion of Christ during Passover week is a profound celebration. Eggs and bunnies are fun, and of course, chocolate. But that must not detract from celebrating the resurrected Christ for a truly happy holy day. We now move from the Passover holiday to the Feast of Weeks, beginning at verse 26. On the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the Feast of Weeks, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Present a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. With each bull, there is to be a grain offering of three-tenths of a nutfa, fine flour mixed with oil, with the ram two-tenths. With each of the seven lambs, one-tenth. Include one male goat to make atonement for you. Prepare these together with their drink offerings in addition to the regular burnt offering and its grain offering. Be sure the animals are without defects. With the Passover, lots of time indicators are given. Here, this Feast of Weeks, none are given. The focus, again, is on the work of the priests. However, other parts of Scripture clearly indicate that the Feast of Weeks, also called the First Fruits, uh, the Feast of the First Fruits, and also called the Feast of Harvest, uh, is that day that takes place 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover. And so 50 days, from which we have the Greek word Pentecost. It is called the Feast of Weeks because of the seven weeks from the Passover feast to this feast. It's called the Day of First Fruits, corresponding with the spring and wheat barley harvest seasons. The sacrificial offering for the Feast of Weeks, just as with the Passover, are uh, identical to the new moon and monthly offerings. There are burnt offerings for general atonement of sin. 
There are grain offerings for general thanksgiving of God's goodness and provision. And there is an additional sin offering to make atonement for specific sin to be confessed. And so again, the New Testament makes clear connections to Christ. The last sentence of chapter 28 in our passage says, be sure the animals are without defect. Hebrews 9.14 says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so the animal without defect points to Christ, who is perfectly without blemish. And the offering of the first fruits connects to Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Indeed, Christ is the first fruits through whom we are all made alive. And then Proverbs 3.9 encourages us, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And so our worship and celebrations should not offer our leftovers or the worst of what we have. We celebrate by giving our best in recognition that all we have comes from God. And that makes for a truly happy holy day. Now from the Passover to the feast of weeks, we move to chapter 29 and the first of three feasts in the seventh month. We go beginning to the Feast of Trumpets, the first six verses of chapter 29. On the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. It is a day for you to sound the trumpets. As an aroma pleasing to the Lord, prepare a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old, all without defect. With the bull, prepare a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah, fine flour mixed with oil. With the ram, two-tenths. With each of the seven lambs, one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. These are in addition to the monthly and daily burnt offerings when they're grain offerings and drink offerings uh, as specified. They are offerings made to the Lord by fire of pleasing aroma. Again, so chapter 29 gives us three holidays in the seventh month of the year, which is right now, in fact. Those who know Latin know that the Latin word for seven is septum, from which we get September. Eight is octo, from which we get October. And novem is nine, for which we get November. So why is September the ninth month of our year? Because Quite a while back, the Roman calendar added January and February with a whole other story that goes with that. But as they added January and February, it moved all the other months sort of out of sequence. But if you think about it, September is a really busy month, isn't it? You're all experiencing that right now. Everything getting started again and kicking off the fall. Fall officially started yesterday with the fall equinox, which means evenings are about to get longer. But September is also the harvest season. In fact, it's primarily the harvest season in view here. And so Numbers 29 verse 1 says, On the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. It is a day for you to sound the trumpets. And in fact, later in the civil sequence of the Jewish, Jewish year, 
The seventh month in many ways became the first month uh, and became Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. And what do you do on New Year's Day? You sound the trumpets, or at least blow little noisemakers, right? Whether a new year by sacred sequence or civil sequence, it's a celebratory time, especially because of the upcoming harvest. And so along with the regular new moon monthly offerings, there were additional offerings similar to the other holidays. In other words, every holiday, every holiday has as its center the burnt offering as an atonement for general sins and grain offering for general recognition of God's goodness and provision and a sin offering for atonement of specific sins. The harvest season has many holidays as a continual celebration and recognition of God's goodness and provision and also recognition of atonement for sin. In this setting, originally, a poor harvest was a clear sign of God's judgment on the people's disobedience. And a good harvest was a clear sign of God's blessing for the obedience of his people. Now, in Christ... We receive blessing not because of our obedience, but because of the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. It's what we affirmed earlier in the service from the Westminster Confession, that God was pleased to give to the people of Israel as a church underage ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits. Old Testament Israel was the church underage, They were underage children, as it were, not yet grown up. And so just as we give our kids symbols and images to describe complex things, so Old Testament Israel was given ceremonial laws and holidays to describe the complex realities of the Messiah, the Christ, to come. We no longer live in a simplistic age when temporal judgment follows disobedience, and temporal blessings follow obedience, the fuller understanding of God's redeeming grace is now revealed in Christ. At the end of Matthew 5, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In Christ, we are no longer simply looking at temporal judgments and blessings, but on eternal judgments and blessings. The Old Testament age anticipated this fact in that there was always a better harvest than the people deserved. The atoning sacrifice pointed to God's undeserved mercy. Moreover, the sacrifices of the people could never atone for their sin. In fact, sometimes their sacrifices were called uh, detestable, described as such. Only the sacrifice of Christ can atone and bring us any blessings in this life and more importantly in the life to come, the eternal new heavens and new earth. That kind of a celebration makes indeed for a happy holy day. So from Passover to the Feast of Weeks and then the Feast of Trumpets kicking off the harvest season, we then have the Day of Atonement beginning at verse 7 of chapter 29. On the 10th day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly. You must deny yourselves and do no work. 
Present as an aroma pleasing to the Lord a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bull, prepare a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. With the ram, two-tenths. With each of the seven lambs, one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering in addition to the sin offering for atonement and the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings. So here we have what is essentially a 10-day period of penitence, beginning with the Feast of Trumpets and concluding with the Day of Atonement, perhaps better known by its Hebrew name, Yom Kippur, which was this past Wednesday, by the way. The offerings on the 10th day of the seventh month are similar to the first day of that month. And much more is said about the Day of Atonement, about Yom Kippur and other parts of Scripture. It's the one day of the year when the high priest went into the most holy place. It was the day in which a scapegoat was presented. The goat had all of the sins of the people were laid upon it. And then that scapegoat was cast into the desert, carrying away the sins of the community. And why it is we still have that phrase today of the scapegoat. All of this shows a clear prefiguring to the person and work of Jesus Christ, the lamb without blemish or spot. Christ is the superior eternal high priest who goes into the most holy place. Hebrews 7 says, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And then Hebrews 9 For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And then Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Could there possibly be a more happy holy day? That takes us finally to the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'll give you a moment to check the time because you're thinking about it. Since this is the longest section and you're wondering how long the sermon is going to be, the passage is purposefully repetitious. And so we're going to skim read it in order that we not lose the point in the midst of all these words. So look beginning at verse 12 of chapter 29. On the 15th day... Of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Celebrate a festival to the Lord for seven days. Present an offering made by fire as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. A burnt offering of 13 young bulls. Two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old, all without defect. With each of the 13 bulls, prepare a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah, fine flour mixed with oil. Each of the two rams, two-tenths. And with each of the 14 lambs, one-tenth and include one male goat as a sin offering in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering. And then at verse 17, we see that on the second day, they are to prepare 12 young bulls with two rams and 14 male lambs. And then drop down to verse 20. On the third day, prepare 
11 bulls with two rams and 14 male lambs. And then go down to verse 23. On the fourth day, prepare 10 bulls with two rams and 14 male lambs. Then down to verse 26. On the fifth day, prepare nine bulls with two rams and 14 male lambs. Then verse 29. On the sixth day, prepare, there it is, eight bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs. And then drop down to verse 32. On the seventh day, prepare seven bulls with two rams and 14 male lambs. And then go to verse 35. On the eighth day, hold an assembly and do no regular work. Present an offering made by fire as an aroma pleasing to the Lord, a burnt offering of one bull, one ram, seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With the bull, the ram, and the lambs, prepare their grain offerings and drink offerings according to the number specified. Include one male goat as a sin offering in addition to the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and drink offering. In addition to what you vow and your free will offerings, prepare these for the Lord at your appointed feasts, your burnt offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings, and fellowship offerings. Moses told the Israelites all that the Lord commanded him. And so you see the pattern for those eight days of sacrifices. The eight-day series of sacrifices totals 122 lambs, 15 rams, and 71 bulls. That's a lot of bull. That's a lot of sacrifice. Given at the end of the harvest season, this eight-day festival is a recognition of the God of the harvest, sovereign and owner over all things, and who provides abundantly more than what is offered. In fact, verse 39 tells us that all of this abundant sacrifice was in addition to the free will offerings that were given by individuals and families and thankful acknowledgement that all that we have, God has given to us. How much more so in Christ? There's a phrase that is repeated several times in these holiday celebrations and in this particular holiday, the first of the eight days, the people were to do no regular work. Celebrating holidays takes a lot of work, yes? But it is not regular work, unless you're a party planner, I guess, or, or a mom, because moms never get vacations, right? You often find yourself doing the same thing you do every other day, just perhaps in a different location. We also need to make the distinction in the fact that we don't celebrate holidays today as much as we take vacations. We like vacations during the winter and spring, like Christmas and Easter, perhaps a chance to go south during the winter cold, and to get a break during our busiest times of the year. The Hebrew holidays were during the busiest time of the year, the harvest season. The holidays were holy days to honor the Lord of the harvest. That in the busiest time that we recognize all that we are gathering in, all that we have is a gift from God. Taking a vacation or taking a break can revive us physically, but celebrating the holiday revives us spiritually. And so there's a big difference between Christmas vacation and celebrating the incarnation of Christ. There's a big difference between having an Easter break and celebrating the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many of our annual holidays 
are commanded in scripture? None. But then neither are vacations or breaks. But they're good. Throughout the ages, the church in Christ-centered application of Old Testament ceremony has seen fit to encourage annual celebrations of the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ. And the Lord has set apart the first day of each week, week as a holy day. And really, every day is a day given by the Lord for us to be thankful and rejoice in it. So, there never really is a bad time to have a happy, holy day. And may that truth set you free. Amen.